right, it's the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 66. I'm Adam, and with me always is Richard and Roy. Hey, everybody, this is Rich. And this is Roy from North of the Wall. It's snowing here a lot. Yeah, it's cold here. Well, not probably not as cold as it is there, but it's it's just we just got a dusting. But oh. I don't think we're going to get up to freezing for about a week or so. But, uh, yeah, I am from uh, West Michigan. It's 46 here outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Oh. And, oh. Yeah, enjoy know, it now because you're not going to be very happy in August. I, I was, <laughs> you know, never. Um, I was, I did have a question, like Roy, since, you know, you guys are predominantly known for colder weather. If, if things were the same, like here, you know, 46 is like super duper cold. This is like where we put on like, you know, uh, heavy scarves and, you know, big, you know, Ralphie's brother jackets and all this stuff and walk around. But Mm -hmm. when you go into a building, like you go into, you know, maybe your job or school or uh, Walmart grocery store, that kind of thing, it's 80 degrees in there. They've cranked the Mm -hmm. heat way up. So you have to like either like leave all that stuff in your car and freeze as you walk, you know, on the way. Or, you know, just take it all off, you know, in there. Is it the same way up there? Yes. See, there's there's alternative three where your wife says, I'm hot, and takes her coat off and gives it to you to carry. So I've had that happen (laughs) more than once before, too. Okay. Um, Yeah, you you know, you unzip and take your hat off and kind of air out as you're wandering around. That's that's what I do, or leave it in 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 the vehicle and go in without a jacket on see i do that and then i still like standing in line at the grocery store or walmart or whatever uh i'm sweating literally just okay. beads of sweat are just rolling off me because it's like 85 in there and the minute i walk outside it, you know you get that blast of cold you know that just mm-hmm. it's like oh my skin hurts now this the sweat has frozen to my forehead <laughs> <laughs> and see for me i think it's a measure of of uh whether i how how my conception of how cool I think I look with the jacket off or on. Ooh, yeah, that's that is a good so point. So if you know if I if I think I look nicer to people with the jacket off, then I can walk in there all cocky and everything, or otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Throw throw it over your shoulder like you're in a Calvin Klein ad from the '80s or something. <laughs> walk, walk around. So, uh, with Chance of Gaming here, we do have a Patreon, and I've started to kind of casually update some things here and there, uh, some public, some not. Uh, have a, it's just three bucks a month. I just, I'm throwing everything on there for the $3 tier because, I don't know, I just want to see, see if there's any interest or whatever. So, you can see that. I'll have it linked in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash chanceofgaming, all one word, and, uh, yeah, so... What about TV shows? I caught up on WandaVision. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Have you guys caught up on that yet? I know before you were earlier on in it. I saw the, yeah, I saw the first episode. Yeah. It's getting better. It's interesting. The first, first couple episodes are really cheesy. Um, and honestly, mm-hmm. if, if, if the whole show was like that, I wouldn't have stuck with it, but it's, it's definitely getting more interesting. Okay. The, the perception I got from the first episodes is that they were kind of stuck in a simulation. So, yeah, sort of. My, sort okay. of. All right. Yep. Yeah, I've caught up and it's really like freaking good. I'm yes, I I really really like it. And there's so many other things like I want 
from it. Like, uh, what is it? Is it Jimmy Woo? Is that the character? Oh, yeah. The character's name? Yeah. It's like, Asian Jim. Yeah, Asian Jim. I just want, like, a whole series of him just going around the Marvel Universe and solving X-Files type stuff. Just him. <laughs> Uh, they brought in yeah. Kat, Kat Dennings, who's always fantastic. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they seem to play off each other pretty well. And, uh, yeah, it's getting really dark and really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. There's right, another I, one. I know I'm really late to this party, but my wife and I started watching The Expanse. So we're about maybe mm-hmm. halfway through the first season, and that's really good so far. So just today I saw the movie Greyhound, which I – Rich, you'd seen it. And no, I haven't seen it. I want to, but I have not. I've okay. seen it. That's on Apple TV, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, so it is a very intense movie, and it's basically just a whole timeline. Like it's every now and then they'll say, okay, well, this is the watch, and this is what happens in that uh, stretch of time. Um, it is a very intense movie, and it's the whole um, saga of, you know, until he is able to complete his mission. Um, and there's a lot of submarines after him. Well, okay, uh, for people who don't know what it is, what is the total plot of it? So there was a guy in World War II who, uh, he was the captain of the Greyhound, which along with three or four other destroyers were escorting a convoy across the Atlantic of 37 transport ships. Well, so the the Catalina airplanes that fly uh, air patrol can only go out so far. And then on the other side, the air patrols over in Europe can only go out so far. So there's a stretch in the middle where there's no air support. And just you have to make your way across this area they call the Black Pit. And um, they were just – it was open season on them for, uh, with uh, the, the German subs. Yeah, so especially just, early in the war. I think the Germans referred to that as the, the happy time or something like that because oh, they yeah. could basically do whatever they wanted. So this was in February of '42. Um, oh yeah, so, so was, yeah, they were pretty much running just about unopposed. It was just safety and numbers. That was like the whole thing. Is like you would get the uh, the merchant ships and whatever kind of all together, and you'd have the destroyers on the outside. And their thing is, is like, oh, if you spot a sub, which was literally you had analog, you know, uh, binoculars, and you're just scanning the sea looking for mm-hmm. just that little thing popping up, you know, the little periscope. I don't know how in the world they spotted them, you know, especially, like, way, way far out. And, yeah, then you... And they did a pretty good job of depicting that, of, like, showing you the tech of the era. You know, this was our... Uh, the the one sonar guy, um, he'd call out what he heard, and then they'd pass it on up the chain to the messenger, and, and um, you know, the, the rudimentary radar that, that starts to get hinky partway through so they don't have the radar anymore. Um, that was uh, – you mentioned the, the sonar guy. That was just so crazy to me was they the, – the guy was just – because he could hear well. And everybody – you know, he's got on the headphones, the primitive headphones, I might add, and he's just listening. You know, he's listening to all those different stuff underwater, and he's like, oh, I – you know, I think I heard – you know, the propeller of a whatever, and they would have mm-hmm. to go, okay, well, he said that, so let's go, you know, that means this, and yeah, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, and really, the the whole ship depends on, on that guy giving up good information. Yep, and of, and course, of course, him not drowning also depends on that, yeah. you know. 
And there was one incident that happened partway through the the film where they um they were chasing ghosts and it cost them a lot of uh, a lot of range and a lot of ordnance that just went to nothing. Um. So anyway. Greyhound. Now, uh, Rich, you, you mentioned uh, the Expanse. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, you're kind of really late to the, uh, really late oh, to, to that for that, and uh, yeah, that's that's fine though. I mean, it's it's gonna be waiting for me. I got that's no problem. I don't need to watch it as it comes out because I think they just finished season five. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. And um, they, I think it only has one more season. Now. I know there were a ton of books. My brother's a huge fan, and um, you know, honestly, I should be reading the books, but I don't. I what I've been doing, I've been reading them as like the season ends. So it's like, oh, hey, you know, I really want to know what's going to happen, and I don't have time for this, you know, next season to come out. So I'm re- going to read the the book or whatever. So I haven't read all of them. I think there's like nine, plus some novellas and stuff. Anyway. I had no idea until I asked. It kind of makes sense that they would end uh, the series um, after the next season because apparently in the series there's a time jump. Like, I mean, not I mean, not like as a plot point or anything. They literally, you know, you know how you know novels do. They just yeah, know, twenty years later is and yeah, that's just kind of how it does. So. That kind of makes sense. So I guess you'll get like the we will get the complete story, you know, once it's done of these particular characters. So it's good, and uh, yeah, I really dig it. And I would also recommend the books on oh, the audiobooks are great. So anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, we're really enjoying the show. So so we actually play games occasionally on this thing. So Roy, what have you been playing? So let's see. I've been playing some uh, Roll Twenty D and D. Um, we are actually, uh, you know what, strike that. I was, uh, out last week, so I didn't do that. Um, but we started the, uh, you probably killed your character while you were gone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they, they took control of him. So he was, Um, he turns catatonic and they have to drag his body around as a plot. (laughs) (laughs) Wiki to Bernie's. um, Yes. We're. Heading up for actually tomorrow, we're gonna play the second uh, session of this uh, uh, module that we, we're doing right now. So that's uh, coming up. Looking forward to that. I'm just, I think keep thinking more and more about uh, my Midgard character. Uh, so Midgard is kind of a dark fantasy, uh, you know, Eastern European kind of legend sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about running a uh, a bear, a bear folk. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still thinking. Um, and then I've been playing on Board Game Arena, playing Teotihuacan, which I talked about this last week. Um, I'm presently finished up with uh, any of those games. But this is a game wherein you're moving dice around the board, um, and they count as workers. So if you move a worker from the forest, to you can move up to three steps and move them over to the temple or to the quarry, I guess. Okay, you can say, I want this worker to quarry some stone, and he's going to roll up one space from a one to a two or a, or a three to a four. But once you get to a five, when you go to a six, you don't go to a six, you ascend, and so you get maybe another die to play, and all, your your eldest worker is 
kind of quote unquote reincarnated and starts the game again as a one. Um, so you're moving around the board, you're uh, building technologies, you're building the temple that's in the middle of the board, and you're uh, trying to gain influence in, in these various uh, temples. So that's uh, Teotihuacan. I, yes, you played that a couple of times, I think. I remember we talked about this a good bit, uh, some with you playing it, and it makes me want to actually try it. Okay. But I could probably do that via Board Game Arena then, right? You could, yes. Okay, all right. Speaking it's a it's a it's a rather intense uh, complicated game, but not nearly as intense as the next game on my list, is, which is called Carnegie, okay. which is also available on Board Game Arena. And this is or was a kickstarted game um, that um, boy howdy it's complex. It's kind of based around the life of <laughs> Dale Carnegie, so everybody has their player board, and uh, each turn. Uh, various players will activate some aspect of the board. And if you don't have any, um, if you can't make any hay out of that, well, that's just tough luck. Um, so you're kind of building up your influence in the various regions around the board. And at various points, then you're also being asked to make a donation. So I'm going to make a donation to the humanities and get a certain amount of victory points, or I'm going to make a donation for, um, you know, I'm going to build a bridge down in, in Tucson, and um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pay the money for that. So you're kind of you're building up your influence through your your uh, charitable spending too. Okay, so it's it's kind of like um, what is that? Uh, what do you call that when rich people do things? Uh, <laughs> philanthropy. Yeah. yeah. When, they, when they do quote unquote good things, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's philanthropy then. Is that the whole game or just an aspect of it? Well, it's you're building up your industry too. Okay. Um, so so uh, you oh, may yeah. be doing things that you shouldn't be doing, like you know, oh, I'm just dumping a bunch of toxic waste over here. But hey, I built you know, that school. It kind of glosses <laughs> over that part of it. That, you know, the, all the the harm that that uh, the golden age did. Which Carnegie did you say it was? This is uh, Andrew Carnegie. Okay, Dale, so, Dale Carnegie is the, the motivational speaker. Okay, so it would be that's the Carnegie from Carnegie Hall. Yeah, right. okay. Carnegie Mellon Foundation. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is interesting to actually like look up and there's a lot of books on the subject or whatever. All them dudes like back then just did terrible things, you know, <laughs> to get all that zillions and zillions of dollars that they had, and then they like. You know, later on in life, it's like, oh, well, let's let me, you know, build a library, build a school, you know, whatever. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The player boards do have a kind of a cool feature that they have, and the hard copy looks the same way. That there's these slide out tabs on the right side of the board where if you if you put an investment into uh, one of those areas, then you pull the tab out and put a marker there. So they the they slide back and forth. That's Interesting. cool. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So let's see. What's the last thing I was talking about? Oh, I've been doing some uh, uh, legion modeling, I, not in figures, but just in terrain. I want to get some more terrain built. So. Yeah, I've got legion set up on my table right now, and the weekend didn't go the way you thought it was going to go to no. go, so I didn't get to play it. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, if if I can get my daughter playing it consistently, then we'll probably start doing some terrain building. But I'm not going to jump into that if she's not going to get into it. Aha! I wanted to make a little hanger maybe for uh, 
for an A-wing. Do you remember when they were scrambling in uh, the Force Awakens and they're all the they're kind of like like you know explosion pits or whatever. Uh, where all the like, all the planes are parked. Yeah. And then they're they're each backed in between like an earthen embankment. So if the, if the bomb hits one of them, it doesn't kill all of them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. About. Anyway, there's there's a scene there with the X-wings parked like that, and I like the idea of having a, uh, you know, some kind of a, a model painted up and sitting in that hangar. Um, I'm actually waiting on a couple of um, Kickstarters to, you know, fulfill. Uh, I bought two or three of them. I backed two or three of them that had uh, STL terrain that would work mm-hmm. for Legion. So. I'm kind of kind of waiting on that. Um, there's a guy in my local shop. Man, he wherever he gets his stuff from, he prints it and then like you know paints it. It's just amazing, mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. looking. And is that uh, the guy that made the the Felucia board with the lights and everything? Uh, no, this is another guy. Oh, so it's a we, different guy. Yeah, we have a a lot of really good modelers locally. It is interesting though. They uh, they don't leave their terrain there. They're like, eh, eh, nope, not doing that. So. When they come out to play, they're bringing several tubs in, and they'll set up one or two tables, and they'll play, and then pack it all up and get back. You know, I I fully I, I fully believe uh, believe in doing that now because I've been burned too many times by buying terrain for the store, and then it either gets damaged, stolen, or thrown away over time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I completely understand that. So. At one point, I had a, I had approached my FLGS about leaving a like a Rubbermaid container there with terrain in it, but I don't know. That never happened. That's how it starts. That's like for Armada. I got two really nice uh, Armada mats printed, uh, two mm-hmm. three by six mats. They're got the Chance of Gaming logo and URL and stuff on them. I will not leave them there. I will either drop them off. If I'm not playing that night, I'll drop them off with a friend of mine, and he'll bring them back to my house. Or mm-hmm. I just I take them back with me. So yeah, I've, I've got PTSD from that. I don't want to do it, you know, do it. <laughs> but with the SDL stuff, I'll uh, probably get uh, one of the local guys to print it, you know, with his printer. That way he's invested in it, you know, and uh, he mm-hmm. can handle that. And oh, so I guess it's on to me. Yes, it's my turn to say what I played. And <laughs> speaking of Legion, I did play Legion, and um, and I've actually won a couple of games. Shocking, I, because I've become <laughs> known for the guy who loses every match. And <laughs> I've I've talked about this like before, uh, because. The guys I play with, uh, a handful of them, are kind of really competitive and kind of, you know, well, they're really competitive. And they'll, you know, it may be kind of depressing or whatever if they lose or whatever. So it got to be got to the point where they're like, well, I can only beat Adam. And so that that was Yeah, their, you mentioned there was one particular guy that that was his thing. You know, that was his, yeah, that was like his thing. He was sad because he could only beat me. And I was like, hello, you know, why did you have to, you know, put, you know, put, put your you name? You waited until I was standing right here, didn't you? Yeah, put my name out like that. <laughs> so I've actually turned around and uh, I've beat a couple of guys. And I've just been making like tons of jokes with it. Because, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I just go to hang out and just have fun, whatever. 
Um, I would not say I'm competitive. I mean, I may so you don't, even... You don't flip the table and say, how do you like me now? No, and I mean, I All may right. even try to... I mean, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to build a list to win. But mm-hmm. when it inevitably does not happen, I, it doesn't bother me. I'm just like, eh, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care. And I, but getting to make the jokes of, like, with the, the, guy, the guys that I beat, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I beat Drew. So y'all be sure and take his shoelaces and his belt before he leaves here. You know, because I mean, See, I don't mind getting beat. I just want it to be close. Yeah, I, I get that. I do. I because I I completely hate being tabled. That doesn't feel good, you know, at, mm-hmm. at all. You're, you're just like, wow, I did this like, you know, I was really bad at this. I made some bad decisions from list building, you know, on to everything I did or this, that and the other. And yeah, I, I get that. Nobody likes being tabled, but mm-hmm. There was a really big discussion amongst my league group about competitiveness, and um, it came from the the guy running it, this friend of mine, and his honestly his main concern is that the competitiveness of people in the league will be um, unattractive to potential players. Yep. And he says, like, people that are in the league have, like, you know, come to him and said, like, you know, I really, you know, this is too competitive. I'm not having fun. And uh, he's saying, you know, other people that are like, wow, you know, I really I'm interested in playing Star Wars Legion, but not with you guys, because all Mm -hmm. you guys are just too competitive. I always feel that way about about around the 40K guys around here. Yeah, I'm, and it's it's kind of really easy to say that with them. Um, I would s- not all 40k, you know, guys are competitive or just GW anyway. But I think a lot of them are. You know, there's, I mean, at least locally. I mean, I would say probably 90% of them, and there's quite a lot of them. That's the biggest group. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're wanting to play. They may. I mean, they may want to try mm-hmm. out a list or whatever. But generally, it's like, hey, this thing's geared to win. Here we go. Now, mm-hmm. I, I know, like, with me, um, I have the problem of uh, I only have so much time during the week, so I have to play a league game when I get to play because mm-hmm. I have to meet my obligations to the league that I'm in because it's not fair to everybody else in the league. If I'm a guy who can't meet his matches, the people that are supposed to play me won't rank well, you know, because Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, yeah, and that's just bad. So if I'm in the shop and somebody comes up and goes like, hey, I just bought into Star Wars Legion. Can you show me how to play? I can't because I'm like, no, because I have to play Jim Bob over here because I'm I'm sorry. I already had this and I feel bad about that. That's happened Mm -hmm. like once or twice. But eh, competitiveness in gaming, it's bad. To me, the only thing I don't like, I don't care like whatever list you bring or anything like that, don't turn a tabletop game into an argument. That's that's what I do not like to see. I don't like to see people arguing, especially loudly, over the rules. Like, you know, I interpret it this way, I interpret it that mm-hmm. way. Now, granted, from 40K to Legion or whatever, most things have errata and FAQs and stuff like that that are updated pretty well, and there shouldn't be that much stuff happening 
like it mm-hmm. used to be back in the day. But uh, that's the thing I, I don't like. And yeah. I get pretty nervous when people start yelling. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think a, a tabletop game is a place to yell. Yeah, just remember we're all playing with little plastic toys. Yeah. <laughs> You should not. It's not a place for anger. It's not a place where you should yell in anger or anything. Mm-hmm. If you want to yell like "Yay," you know, whatever. Yeah, that's. I've I've yelled in, in anger at a tabletop game before, but it's usually at my dice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I've done that too. Just been like, ah, oh, damn it, I can't believe I did that. You know, but yep. I'm, I'm not gonna yell. Yeah, or I've, I've I've cursed at somebody else's dice too. Yep. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean i try to like honestly i try to laugh like sometimes the situation is just so you yeah. know ridiculous just just in the sense of like you know what i rolled or you know what i did or you know whatever yeah. you know cue I the can, credits from curb your enthusiasm yes it's like i cannot <laughs> believe you know where you fail like 30 you roll 30 dice and fail like 30 fail 33 plus saves that's yep. it, that's so crazy. It's just yeah, you just want to laugh. So <laughs> I don't know. And I guess the other thing people argue that uh, competitiveness in it is because we're playing for money. Sort of. We pay X amount of dollars to play in the league, and not only does that get you a discounted product, at the end of the league there's a prize pool, and so people are you know playing competitively in order to win not only fame and glory, but prizes. So the argument is like, well, let's have a league where we don't have to, you know, we don't, we're not paying anything to get in where there's nothing like that. And so I guess I could see that too. Or uh, what if uh, you had a, a prize for the person that lost every game? They really should. Cause that would be me. That's I should argue that I'm arguing okay. for myself. That's like, uh, we did the last, our, well, our last, our first and only Armada tournament, I was like, hey, let's have a painting contest. But you, it only count. you can't paint it yourself. We're just going to compare factory paint jobs and who has the best one. Because that benefits me. It's just a joke, but, you know. <laughs> it's like no, So if you had the last place prize would be like a discount on that person's faction models. Because you you lost because you didn't have a cool enough model, so you need more models. True, <laughs> very true. Um, or I think I think the last place should be like uh, whatever second place should be. <laughs> <laughs> that way I'd get it. I don't know. You may get people trying to throw games in the internet or whatever. But anyway, it's it's uh, it's a thing with just competitiveness and our our legion thing. Uh, you know the and the guy running it, he's a great guy. And he's very concerned because you don't – we've personally seen locally uh, one or two people utterly kill a game. So if you've bought into it, like say you spent a bunch of money into it and you love it and this is a great game, and then have Joe Schmo come along and just drive everybody else away, that's not good. And so you know you want to play this game, but you can't, and you it put all this money into it that is now wasted because of that so i don't know it's it's uh we're gonna try to tone down things a little bit and just see how it goes and but yeah i'm excited i broke my my loss streak i've won two total games so i'm excited and you need uh, a swear jar i know oh speaking of the swear jar i actually heard 
this discussion among some guys around my age, I'll be 45 this month, um, about uh, swearing on podcasts. We were just joking. We were talking about like different Legion or Armada podcast, you know, because we, we talk mm-hmm. about like, you know, the, the greatest named uh, podcast ever is the Armada one, The Outer Rim Job. It's just, yes, okay. that's utterly fantastic. It's totally juvenile, but it is utterly fantasticness. But they were talking about, like, yeah, I just kind of get turned off with all the cursing and stuff. You know, they just say F this and F that, you know, just like five minutes in. They're saying it all, you know, all this time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that never really occurred to me to, yeah. to that would be like a negative. And I guess, I don't, I don't know why that is. Oh. I guess, because you automatically. I, just, I find that. It's, really? Cursing is like cilantro. A little bit is great. <laughs> Too much, and it overpowers everything else. I guess so. That, that's a good point. And I, I guess I would say... Like, and it tastes like soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you when you say bad words, you have to taste it. Um, I guess, I, you know, I would say I don't... Um, what is like uh what is too much you know i i guess i haven't noticed or listened i i should try to listen to it to just figure it out because i never really thought about it like with mine um and you know i mean i don't say fuck just to say it well i just did but you know but other than that it's you know (laughs) demonstration purposes yes it's generally you know you just try to say it too i think i'm punching up a joke usually with it it's like i don't know I don't know. I'd have to see, but it's an honest concern. They don't like a lot of a lot of cursing. It's a turn off for some people. So mm-hmm. just interesting. I don't know. Uh, just something to think about. And um, oh yeah, Star Wars Armada. It's absolutely taken off right at the gate at my local store, and I couldn't be happier. It's. Do I, you think it's because of the the new uh, Clone Wars guys? Well, that helped. It really helped that um, it gave people an avenue to buy in, to be like, okay, it's straight up. Here is a starter faction for this faction, and although they still don't have a standalone Rebels or a standalone Empire, you still have to split that with somebody. But you know, but I I really think that was a good idea, and you had even people like me. I have Rebels, I have Empire. Well, I bought the Separatists too because I just think it's kind of neat. I like the look of their ships and stuff like that. Now, I didn't buy two starters like some people did. I'm going to wait until April for the next releases, and then I'll honestly start playing with them. But actually seeing them on the board is really neat. They have a really neat swarm um, mechanic. Yeah, uh, that's that was something I discovered about three games in. That game is you should really build, you can have, like, a, at a 400-point game, you can have a maximum amount of, like, I think it's 136 points in squadrons. That should be the very first thing you do, is build those. Then build the rest of your list. Squadrons are super, super good on the um, on the table, and they do some really neat things. Not only, like, taking out other squadrons, but to be able to damage ships, or, honestly, it's Basically softening them up. You let your uh, squadrons go in first to drop shields, make them burn tokens, all this stuff, and then you hit them with your uh, your shield, uh, with your big ships, and yeah, things hopefully go well for you. And, uh, but yeah, so, yeah. Uh, can you go get into Armada on the cheap with this uh, starter? 
Well, the I'm almost positive the starters. Okay, there there's So the, I mean I'm talking about the separatist um uh, you know, the yeah, the starter army. Separatist starter, I'm almost positive, is MSRP a hundred bucks. Okay. Uh, well maybe MSRP. I, I think it's miniature market, I think it's around eighty. I mean, yeah, do you get rulers and, and dice and yes, stuff too? Yes, all that all that comes in there. Okay. Yeah, you, right. you get uh, that's another thing is like that makes it yes, yeah, it's, it's eighty four ninety nine at miniature market. Currently, mm-hmm. you get your movement tools and all that. Cause see, that's another problem. Okay. If you purchased the um, the other starter they do with Rebels and Empire, you would have mm-hmm. to one of you guys would get the the movement tools and the other guy yep. would just be shit out of luck. So, so this is a this is a starter box rather than a faction box, if you get my distinction. Well, yes. Well, I would say okay. it's, it is a starter faction box. Okay. It, it not only starts. I guess by faction box I mean just the models. That's all you get. No rule book. No dice. No, no, nothing. no, no. It's it's a okay. starter box because you get your rule book, you get your dice, you get your um, you know, all the wheelie bobs and whatever you need to do <laughs> uh-huh. you know, the the terrain, quote unquote, which is two D, you know, so. That's what you, you know, I should look into that if anybody makes um, 3D Armada terrain based on that same uh, footprint that they have. I'll, I'll try to look that up and talk about it on the next show. But, yeah, they're getting... Uh, and, of course, with any FFG game, be it Legion, X-Wing, or Armada, you have to deal with FFG's really shitty restock. So... If you see it on the shelf and you need it, buy it. Because once it's gone, it may be three to nine months before it ever gets restocked again. Hmm. Which which causes prices to shoot up. Uh, Yeah, famously, I've made quite a bit of money uh, going to a local store that I knew of. Our local hobby town had Armada just sitting there. Nobody was buying it. And they would clearance it out slowly and I would go in always and like look at the clearance stuff and then look at, see what it was going for on eBay and make money that way because it was <laughs> yeah that's the way they do so the uh, see the other thing was I ordered the box I've talked about it on the show before the uh, box set the two player box set for Dystopian Wars I tried to get it through my local shop I tried to be a good boy and you know pay close to MSRP for it. He couldn't get it, so I ordered it from Miniature Market. So, and well, which was yay, I got the discount. And um, when it it's came, my local store, so it still counts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely right. It's your local store, so it counts. And so, um, yeah, I've got that. I think it's actually shipped, and it's on the way. And the only reason I did is because another guy locally asked me about it. He was like, "Hey, I ordered this, you know, and look, uh, it came back in stock here." So you can get it too, and I'm like, okay, well, if you bought into it, you know, I still have some mm. old stuff, and uh, yeah, I'll get that, and uh, we'll go from there. So, do you split your purchases, speaking on the side, as far as between your FLGS and online? Um, yes and no. I, I mean, I think we, I think everybody kind of does. It's like you, okay. you know, I think I spend enough in the store that yep. it's it's never a question about like, am I you know, I mean, not not necessarily a good customer. Maybe that maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But it just in the sense of you know, you're spending enough money here that it's great for you to hang out all day and take up one of these tables. 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then the other, I will buy from my FLGS if I can, and I but occasionally I will get stuff online. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, I've, I've I've paid your heating bill for a month. I think yeah. you can. I mean, I, I kind of feel that way. You know, I, I do the same. And for me, you know, I can get a little miffed. You know, it's like, okay, you want us to buy all the stuff here, but I want you to, when I say, can you get something, you know, I need you to tell me, like, within 24 hours, a couple days at most. Don't just make me have to keep asking you and asking you and asking you, can you get it? All to find out, no, you can't. So... I don't like that, but not saying I've had that experience with my current one, but I have had it in the past. I, that that kind of thing annoys me. It's like you know, but I mean honestly, anything, any tabletop thing. I mean, they're you're gonna buy stuff uh, online. It's just the nature of the beast. There's you're either buying it used or it's uh, you caught it on sale somewhere. Because I mean, nobody is gonna do a discount just off the bat, like NWS or something like that, but even like Miniature Market drops stuff so cheap on their sales, and you may just impulse buy it. Like, oh, I'm just going to try this out. So, I don't know. I know I've helped my local shop out quite a bit when people are like, oh, hey, a couple guys came in interested in this game. And so I go, I'm like, well, I have two forces for it. Go in, here's the demo for it, and then they end up ordering it through my local store. And so, yeah. Eh, I could do that, but no. I try to support local the best I can, and uh, yeah, so there you go. I mean, honestly, the only thing I really get outside of some huge sale would be stuff that it's kind of boutique. It's only available like um, uh, Relic. What's it from uh, Metal King Studio? Relic Blade. You know, he is the designer, maker, and retailer of it. You can't get it anywhere else. So, you know, it's stuff like that. Just, only other thing I picked up this week was the new Dark Angel Codex, which came out. And as a long-suffering fan, I've been thinking about doing a YouTube video on like where I first got into them and just talking about my experience in trying to play them because it's kind of different than most people. I always played Third Company, which didn't have the cool... Either it did not have Ravenwing, which is the cool bikes and speeders, and it didn't have Terminators, which are the, you know, the badass guys from First Company. So it's, yeah... A lot of times in various editions, my Dark Angels would be worse to play than just generic Marines. So, there you go. (laughs) And the only other thing I wanted to mention was I have been listening to The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, and I really like it. So, I know it's people, it's a kind of popular book. That's the whole reason why I put it on my wish list, and I finally ended up buying it. And, uh, yeah, it's good. So I'd recommend mm. it. I'll have to look that up on Hoopla. On, oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. We don't have that here, but, um, yes, oh. I am familiar with it. It's nice to be able to uh, borrow audiobooks from your library like that. Hmm. So, Rich, tell us about The Forgotten War. Uh, making sl- uh, not a whole lot of progress on it just because i've had a lot going on at work but uh still still playing ocs uh we're playing the uh a second scenario now um it's called ripper um and i'm playing the un trying to take a couple cities back from so it's, it's part of the counterattack. um but the more i play ocs the more i like it i really want to 
Um, I was actually thinking about getting out one of the bigger ones and I don't know if I want to set it up on my table or just play it on Vassal or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's an OCS game. I talked about it a little bit last time. Um, I've also been playing a new game that I haven't talked about called Gaia Project, which uh, yeah, is, there you go. yeah, I know. So yeah, you guys got me into this one, um, after introducing me to Terra Mystica. So Terra Mystica is not available at Miniature Market, but I think I like Gaia Project even better. And I played this a couple times last weekend with my wife and my 11 year old, and they both had a great time. My wife actually won both games that we played. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's, it's fun. It's got something like 14 factions. So um, I'm one of those guys that likes to try out every faction. And my 11-year-old, she's like, well, I just want to play the same one over and mm-hmm. over again until because I know how they play. So, Well, um, I think but, I texted you that it's kind of like each faction is just a little bit different puzzle to solve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they've, they've got some cool abilities too. Like uh, my wife played the one that has the brainstone, so you can cycle power a lot faster. And then I played the one one time that – um, like once you build your stronghold, you can get two power for one. And, uh, yeah, so we're definitely going to play that a lot more, but we played twice last weekend and really enjoyed it. Cool. And then we played some more seven windows dual Pantheon. Uh, we played that, I think just, yeah, I think I was yesterday. We played that. So, um, we've, we've played that one before. That's kind of one of our go-to games. We play that a lot. Like if we want to go out. On a date or something, we'll go up to a, in the summertime. Obviously, we'll go to a park or something to play that or go to a coffee shop. And we just played at home yesterday. But um, it was funny because like halfway through the second age, I just got a bunch of really good turns in a row. And my wife is like, can we just stop now? Because you've got me beat so bad. And then she came back <laughs> and won. So <laughs> she beat me by like two points at the end. As we're adding up the score at the end, I'm like, I think you got this. And she goes, I can't believe I pulled this off. So Now, have you ever achieved the victory uh, where you get all the tokens, all the technology tokens? The science victory? Get... Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I've never I was, seen I was that happen. very close to getting that, that auto victory in the third round yesterday. Um, but she, you know, she either took either bought or blew up one of the science buildings. I can't remember, oh. but yeah, I was, I was one token away from getting that yesterday. The, uh, the competition for those green cards between my wife and I is intense. Yeah. And if you play the one, the one green God, the one that gives you the ser- the serpent token, she yep. makes it even easier to win a science victory. So Nishaba. Yeah. Something Sounds like that. Right. Yep. <laughs> Cool. So, and there's actually another expansion out for Seven Wonders Duel. I can't remember what it's called, but we're definitely going to have to pick it up because it's mm. one of our favorite games. Yeah, I remember seeing it. It's maybe something about guild? No, not guilds. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I remember there is one. Here, I, bet it's, I, I bet it's here on this board game or, or board game geek page we're looking at. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> And then on Board Game Arena, I played a new game called Paris Connection, which played a couple of games of those. In fact, the one I think that I was playing with you guys, I think I just ended the game and finished fourth place tonight. So um, oh, it's right. an interesting little game. It takes place in France. You you build some trains and you can either build or you can trade in to get more stock in the train. So you're trying to you're trying to get the track as long as you can, but the longer the track goes, the less stock becomes available for you. So it's really kind of a balancing act. And obviously, I did not balance well at all because I finished in last. So, uh, but that's Paris Connection, and that one's on Board Game Arena. Cool. 
I haven't looked at yeah, I haven't looked at the score yet. Now I was, okay. so, I, was I think gonna, I think uh, Matt won. <laughs> I had questions about that. Like I I understand they build the track. Yeah. Okay. Then what? I what I did not understand. You know what I'm supposed to do was like with the stock and all that. How did that? How does that work? So you can every turn you have a choice. You can either build track, or you can trade in stocks. So you can trade in one of your stocks that you already have for two of any other stock. So what you're trying to do is, you know, if if the red track is getting long and the red stock price is going high and no one's done anything with yellow yet, you can turn in your yellow to get two reds. But the problem is, you know, the if you if you buy up all the red stock, then red can't build any more track because the stock markers are the same tokens that you use to build track. So that's where the balancing act comes in. And there's a maximum number of stock as well, but I wasn't anywhere near that, which is probably the reason I lost. I think you can have 15 stock total, and I had like 10. So that's just money that I'm not making. Okay. All right. I took a second. That's slightly a uh, better uh, better understanding of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, you beat me. Hmm. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right, Roy, you have so, a correction? I do have a correction. So last week we talked about, um, I talked about the Barks root beer uh, yeah. send away thing. Yes. Oh, and yeah. I got a very strange package in the middle of the week, and I'm I'm so glad it wasn't anthrax. Um, <laughs> it was a set of pins uh, from, ironically, from, from Rhode Island, but uh, previous to that from the Soviet Union. It was from that Barks root beer uh, ad that Adam sent me. So they're pretty cool. Um, but my correction is I said something about uh, the MIG jet that supposedly that was one of the things that they uh, had advertised. Right. Um, that was not the case. So I was reminded by somebody that Pepsi had a, a uh, some kind of a promotion where you could get a Harrier jet. And this guy saved up enough points to get a Harrier jet. And he said, where's my jet? And they said, no, we're going to give you cash for that. (laughs) You know, Pepsi, at one point, the Soviet Union owed them a ton of money and they paid them off in scrap naval vessels. So uh, until the from the time that the Soviet Union paid Pepsi in naval vessels until the time that they actually scrapped all those vessels, Pepsi had something like the fifth largest Navy in the world for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I see this. It is Leonard versus PepsiCo Inc. And um, yeah, he was he was trying to enforce an offer to to redeem seven million Pepsi points for an AV Harrier 2 jump jet (laughs) valued at thirty three point eight million at the time. Which PepsiCo has shown, of course, in a televised commercial that PepsiCo argued was tended was intended to be humorous. So what I like is uh, he didn't actually get the seven million Pepsi points uh, through the purchase of Pepsi products. He instead sent a certified check for seven hundred thousand eight dollars and fifty cents, as permitted by the contest rules. So Leonard, oh. had, Leonard then had 15 existing points and paid 10 cents a point for the remaining, you know, seven million and a ten dollar shipping and handling fee. <laughs> so you can get a Harrier shipped for ten bucks. That's pretty good. 
So his what his buy-in was like but nine hundred thousand. Well, I mean, yeah, thereabouts I mean, about seven hundred. Well, I mean, just just a little over seven hundred thousand dollars for. I mean, honestly though, that's a bargain for a. Oh yeah. For a thirty-eight million dollar aircraft. You turn it know. around and send it south of Venezuela. Well, yeah, I, I think you could get in a lot of trouble for that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that would be the whole thing with the, I don't think you could legally own a Harrier. I don't know. It is weird that, like, you would be very, very surprised at, like, how many former fighters and stuff that are actually in public hands now. And I don't mean, like, just stuff like MiG-51s and stuff like that, but, like, you know, I think the original F-4 Phantom, you know, and, and stuff like that. These are jets that obviously extremely wealthy people are buying them because it's not, you're, you know, you're still probably spending like a million bucks to buy the thing. But, uh, yeah, there are jets in private hands. You just, you know, you can't, you can't have the machine gun. You can't, you know, stock it with missiles mm -hmm. or whatever. I imagine like, you know, radar, you know, anything like of military grade would be taken out of it. But yeah, just interesting. You're reminding me of a, a trashy novel, a novel series that I read in the 80s called Wingman. Wingman, Wingman right? Yes. 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 I read that too. Uh, a friend of mine got me into it. I mean, basically, uh, oh my gosh, it's like American military pornography, basically. <laughs> it is, is what it, it is. is. It's like. I'm going to paste a link in. It's, it's like a uh, top gun to the, like the millionth degree it's it's post-apocalyptic and it's literally like this one dude in an f-16 just like saving the world just like going around and just defeating entire air forces and you know bad guys in just one plane just him it's uh mac mahoney or something i think was the uh the guy who wrote it i, I have no idea like how many there actually were i think I read probably five, five of them maybe. Um, I mean, if it's anything like some of those guys, you know, they just crank them out, you know, into the umpteenth hundreds. But, uh, oh, wow. Looks like uh, from the link we'll have in the show notes, there's been at least 20 of them. But, um, let's see. Oh, yeah, I remember. It, they always had the cover art was from the point of view of you're in the um the cockpit and like stuff's going down outside you and so you just took a picture i guess for a cover i well i think i honestly have read up to four which is thunder in the east i don't think i've read any any of these other any of these other 16 novels but yeah but i mean it's i don't know what you would call this but yeah besides military pornography it's like yeah it's 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 kind of like a, a video game where you're like literally the the one guy that kills everybody and saves the world you know as impossible as it sounds you know it's basically yeah like a novel version of i don't know like our type or something where you're just the one ship just going through waves of enemies killing everybody i don't know i don't know speaking of yeah that was a, that was a little aside. Sorry. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean that's what we do here. <laughs> um, although I did order, I think a piece of equipment. I've been listening, like you know, history on the table and whatnot. It's like now I want to. I I feel bad and imposter syndrome gets is getting in there, and so I kind of want to up the production value here. So 
I ordered uh, something to help facilitate that. So we'll see how it goes. Ah, speaking of ordering things, did you know we have a sponsor? We actually do. We might even have more than one after this week, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, we have Mike at Ultra Dementia. What do you do over there at Ultra Dementia? Well, he prints STL files for you. If you don't, if you're like me and don't have a printer because you don't have a place to put it and you don't want to fool with it or know how to work it, and it makes you feel dumb, you can use Ultra Dementia to print your stuff and uh, for a reasonable fee. Plus, he has his own stuff over there as well. And you can also see, I think we discovered the uh, Lankamar Fleeting Luck tokens, which were available free over at Drive Through RPG and some other stuff that he has. And uh, yeah, so you can get you some can... scatter blocks. Just head over there. Little, use scatter blocks? Oh, little crates and things that you can put out on your battlefield from oh, yeah. uh, starting at a buck. For Legion, too. You know, that, that would help you with some mm -hmm. terrain. Um, I know you could use the discount code COG2019, which, golly, that thing is two years old now. Hmm. It's been a long time watching that discount code grow up. And, uh, yeah, it's about to be, you know, an adult and make other little discount codes of its own. So there you go. So anyway, back to uh, the show, and we do this segment called What's Under Radar, where we talk about things that maybe are just coming out, or maybe just, hey, I just realized this was a thing. And so the first thing I have is a game called Secrets of the Lost Station. I thought it looked really neat, because I saw somebody, it was a Kickstarter, and it has gone to retail now, and it is a legacy dungeon crawl. And it has some really neat looking miniatures and stuff like that in it. So I just wanted to toss it on here. You guys heard of this thing? No, I don't remember no. hearing anything about this. It's, it looks uh, like Space Gloomhaven. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought of too. Which reminds me, the new campaign for Gloomhaven, I saw on the shelf at Target, of all places. You mean Shaws of the Lion? Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Just, yeah, that, that's been selling at Target since day one. Oh, really? Is, yep. it a, is it an exclusive, or they just happen to just sell No, because Miniature Market has it, too. Okay. All right. Just just weird. But, uh, yeah, this is one of those... Uh, there have been a lot of sci-fi dungeon crawlers that have come out, and this one looks pretty cool. I don't know what it costs for on the, um, uh, on the Kickstarter, but uh, it seems... I think the retail is somewhere around 120 I think. And, uh, yeah, so it's... Looks like you can get it on Geek Market for 100 so... Yeah, well, it, although that looks good, there's always shipping. And, man, those geeks like to charge a lot of money for their shipping. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It is expensive. And that's such... It's such a downer, like, when you're trying to sell board games. You know, uh, it's always... It's going to kill you in shipping. The actual game won't go for that much, but you'll just lose it in shipping. That's why going to cons and stuff, and you know, you do like either the math trade or just buying them used off people, and uh, is so much better because people are muling them. So there you go. So this is one I definitely want to pick up in the future. So we'll see. Uh, the next thing we had was an upcoming Kickstarter, the Vast in the Dark, exploring ruins in an infinite world, a zine about exploring. The dark and alien mega structures of an infinite realm. And uh, by the time you hear this, you got about six days to hop on this. This it's only a two-week Kickstarter. That seems short. Yeah. Well, they only wanted five hundred bucks. Yeah. So, you know, 
And uh, as of this podcast, they've got 14 grand. So, you know, it's there it is. And, uh, oh, cool, yes, I have already backed this one. I backed it at $10, the early bird special. I get a digital copy, a physical zine, and a signed drawing. Yes, and it supposedly will come out in April, so yay. <laughs> and uh, it just looked really cool, and I think, like, uh, what attracted me to it is, like, it was like the company or something, it was something, something Appalachia. Anyway, it just caught my attention. I really dig the uh, the art style. Because the main thing is uh, what he was going for in creating this stuff. It's supposed to be this lightless wasteland. And he, the idea he was going to do for like all the stuff you can see is brutalist architecture. Are you guys familiar with that? No. It's kind of a, I'll have it linked in the show notes. Brutalist architecture is fascinating. Most of it, if, if not all of it, is all like uh, Soviet era usually not even like Russia. It's usually the smaller countries that were either under Soviet control or, um, you know, or just influenced by them. It's just really, really neat. Lots of concrete, lots of huge geometric shapes. And, uh, yeah, that's brutalist architecture. The, um, the scenes from a clockwork orange from his, around his flat, Kind of remind me of Brutalist. Yeah, it could be. It's, it, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. You get it's on uh, Hulu, I think. It, it 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 all looks very very dystopian to me. It, it seems like that's kind of like the go to of like you know oh we're having this you know this the sci fi movie where we have to show you know just how oppressive government and all this stuff is. Well. We're, Let's find some um, some brutalist architecture and just yeah that's that's where we'll um, we will film so I don't know I just think it's really neat I like the architecture so and plus it was a cheap buy-in just a zine so there you go so this is for D and D is that what I'm understanding <coughs> uh, OSR probably which is uh, you know uh, the old school Renaissance or old school role playing game you know I, okay which generally I've noticed well, is kind of like a blank like, oh go ahead. I would said it's built for the world's most popular role-playing game. I didn't know if that was a nudge-nudge, wink-wink, you know, d Yeah, that's usually what people call D&D when they're not allowed to say D&D. Hmm. It is true, okay. but usually they will say it's made for 5E. And I don't know. I don't think that one is, but it may be. Um, yeah, I just thought of it as from like an OSR point of view, which I've gotten way into. I just find it really, really neat. And I feel really bad. I was like, man, I've totally missed out playing this, you know, when I was a kid, when all this stuff was actually coming out, you know, and whatnot. And so I'm just kind of riding on somebody else's nostalgia. Like, oh, this is the way it used to be, you know. We didn't have subclasses or, you know, whatever, and, you know, Panther people. We just, it was brutal, and, you know, you might have died, and blah, blah, blah. So, anyway. Hmm. Uh, so the next thing I have is Wacht and Rhyme. I said that right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what made you put that on there. Uh huh. I saw people talking about it, about looking for a Battle of Evolves game. And this one comes from Decision Games. And uh, it's, I love the, the front cover of it. Um, the nice, uh, I almost said tiger, but no, that's a panther something as a um, Sherman something drives by it. 
Which reminds me, I actually got in a discussion with a guy locally about whether or not he could use a Sherman 5 in bolt action for Americans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is getting into rivet counting, which like makes my head hurt. Technically, the Sherman 5 is, I think it's like the M4A4, which was used by Free French and um, the, the Brits. And that was it, you know, because they modified Sherman's to do it because it has like a longer um, track. It has a longer uh, casing in order to, uh, to accommodate a different engine and all this stuff. And the only reason I know this, you know, ridiculous knowledge is because I got a bunch of them to play Free French in uh, Flames of War. So anyway, so... so- what oh. what brought this game up specifically? Just talking about a bulge game because so I own this game. Um, it is a huge game. It's not a small game. Like if someone came to me and said, "Hey, I want to play a bulge game," uh, unless I knew some very specific things about them, this is not the one I would recommend. Uh, not because it's not great, but just because you know this is a very heavy, very big game. It's part of a system. It's a, it's the GOSS system that and they're all they're all huge. I've got uh, looking over my shelf here. I've got four of them. I that may be all of them. I think I think there's another one coming out next year. So you would say that this is a uh, a monster game? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So it's kind of just yeah. You wouldn't play this like when Roy comes over. You know, you wouldn't play this. It would be like you're going to a con and you're going to spend like three days playing this like all day or something, right? Yes, and you still would not finish it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so if you look at like the BGG page of this, 240 minutes, somebody literally just pulled that number out of their ass. This is a game that's going to take you uh, – I'm guessing if you wanted to play the full campaign of this, you're probably talking 60 to 80 hours. I gotta yeah. say, it's it's gorgeous. The map on it is gorgeous. Of course, I can't. Oh, all the GOSS games—they all have beautiful maps. Yeah, I've got, like I said, I've got four of them. Only one of them I've really played very much, um, but that's another one that I really wanted to um, get to my table this year. And I mean, I've talked in the past about you know I've been playing more games on Vassal, even if I play solitaire. But this game, even on Vassal, is so big that the module will like slow down your computer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is definitely a table game, a big table game. How many counters would you say it is? Uh, I don't know. Just it probably rough, says on. It's oh, it says uh, yeah, three thousand maybe. I don't 3, know. Three thousand. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, there's a bunch of. So all the GOSS games, they're not even like they're the size of two boxes. So they're the same height, but like the. I could I can send you a picture later, but the box is it's longer. It's like. I don't know, seven, maybe 18, 24 inches long or something. So, yeah. And it comes with two. But they're all like that. It comes with two 10-sided dice. <laughs> <laughs> for for whatever reason. Yeah, I saw this, and it may have been you talking about it or something. There was somebody talking about a bulge game, and they were they ended it with like, well, it was something new, and they were like, I don't like to look at that. If I want to play Battle of the Bulge, I'll play Walk Down Rhyme. And so there you go. So. Yeah, it could be. Um, this one is it's Hex Encounter. You know, I've, there's there's a million bulge games out there. Everything Literally, from yes. small area control games to 
this is probably one of the biggest ones, but who knows? Or maybe something even bigger. So is it not in print? I was kind of looking to get like an MSRP, and I see a... Uh, a I don't know. It, it's it's Decision Games, and I think I think all their games... I think all the GOSS games are available off their website, but I'm not sure about that. I saw... I'm, I'm looking at, I think, a used copy now, and it's $225. So. Yeah, and I mean they're expensive new because the the latest one to come out was Lucky Forward, and I got that one just last year and knew that one was I mean knew like pre-ordered from Decision Games it was I think it was one forty, so yeah they're expensive games but they're they're huge. So. Oh yeah, it's one hundred and sixty is MSRP yeah. from uh, Decision yeah. Games. Wow. Yeah. So there's one of these pictures on on Board Game Geek with four guys at a con sitting casually around half of the board. Right. Yeah, they're huge. It kind of gives a, a, a sense of scale to the map. Yeah, a couple of years ago at a con I went to, um, they played another game in this series, but they played Atlantic Wall, which is even bigger than this one. Um, and Atlantic Wall, so they did Atlantic Wall. I'm sorry, is is D-Day um, in the same system? So ahead of time on Vassal. Mm-hmm. They did like all the invasion stuff, and they spent a lot of time. And then they got to the 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 con, and they set the game up based on where they were in Vassal. And they played for, I want to say, four days, and they played probably 10 to 12 hours a day. And they made it like, uh, you know, that they were nowhere near being done. But, I mean, that's hmm. a, a game like that, that's that's what you get unless you want to keep it set up in your table and have a friend come over and play it every day for years and years, which is a great idea if you want to do that, but you can't even fit that game in in a con, but it's still worth playing for four days. Kind of like when I played Jaws of Victory last year, we didn't finish the game, but we had a good, good time playing for three days. That's a cool idea to uh, kind of pregame it before yeah, the con. Yeah. <laughs> that means get loaded, Roy. That means drinking <laughs> in the parking lot. I can do that too. Yeah, yeah, do both. Now, a, a couple of things. Number one, is there ever a point that you'll reach in the game to where, you know, uh, one side, you've got it. Uh-huh. You know, you've got it at this point, so there's no point in us spending, you know, the next 18 hours finishing it out. It, it, oh, yeah, I'm sure there is. I mean, you, you can get to that point. It, it really depends on what you want to get out of the game. So games like this are not, you know, you are talking earlier about competitiveness with Legion. You don't play this game to win. You play this game for the experience. Okay better be a cool experience it better be easier than asl that's all I'm <laughs> um it's different from asl <laughs> i mean it's they're both this one is i don't know it's 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 really hard to just to compare grand operational with tactical but as far as the weight they're probably similar if you want to call it that but again an asl game you can play in i mean almost every asl game is played in three hours Whereas this one, three hours will barely get you started. Okay. So, all right, how many other people, other crazy people do you need to, to play this game? Obviously one. but one. Zero. I mean, honestly, I, I would guess that most people that play this game play it solitaire because it's hard to find another person with that kind of time commitment. But you can you can play two. You can play this game specifically. I'm sure you could... 
you know, it's a battle of the bulge. If you think about the German forces, there's like three main sections that the Germans came up in. And then you could take the American forces and the British forces. You could even have a third American be Patton and his relief forces. So you could easily make this into a two-player game, a five-player game, a six-player game. Okay. Kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is like looking at decision games, looking at shop.decisiongames. I'll have this link in the show notes. Um, now, you mentioned Atlantic Wall. It, uh-huh. it, MSRP on that is 240 Lucky yeah. Lucky Forward is MSRP is 220 Yeah, and I think I think I pre-ordered that one, so I didn't pay that much for that, but yeah. Now, they have this crazy game called War in the Pacific. The MSRP on it is $450. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what what level, you know, or anything about this. It does have seven twenty-two by thirty thirty-four strategic maps. So yeah, seven and, maps is a lot and, and counters to fill them up. So nine thousand counters. Yeah. And uh, you can save fifty dollars by ordering the white box edition, which just means you don't get the box. <laughs> you know, I guess they just cram it in a big Ziploc bag. And I guess they also list uh, Highway to the Reich. It's 170, and then Walk Dead Rhyme is, is 160. They have some other ones. It's just interesting. Um, and uh, now for Lucky Forward, it's the GOSS series. Yes. Golf. Which is Grand Operational Simulation Series, I think. Something like that. There's a town right by my hometown called Goss. It was just funny to me to actually read that that sort of thing. So anyway, so uh, the next thing we had, I wanted to ask you about Richard because I had no idea this existed. It's uh, Sniper, and I was surprised. Uh, I just saw where I think it came across my radar. Somebody was listing a whole collection of it for sale, and so I clicked on it. This is a TSR game. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I've heard of this game, but I've never seen mm-hmm. it or played it. But I've heard of it. That just kind of shocked me that I had no idea that TSR did anything that wasn't fantasy, much less historical. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that it was TSR, but I've I've heard of it, and that's about it on this one. So, so I'm assuming it's it's probably like a an ASL clone, maybe where it's it's kind of squad based or something, or maybe it's just one guy. Maybe. It is. It's uh, just one. one no to way, one. really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like two snipers hunting each other. So I presume there's some hidden movement that goes on, and you have to make a roll to make it from hex to hex based on how good your roll is, is what do you make it and or not and be seeing. Well, that's just really the map looks like – I'm sorry, what's that? I was just going to say that's really neat. Why yeah. don't – why has it – why, have, why hasn't somebody reprinted this? You know, it just seems... I mean, I wonder, a lot of these games, it just has to do with who owns the rights to it and if they feel like doing it or not. Um, there's another game kind of similar to this called Gunslinger. Have you guys ever heard or played that? Nope. So um, Gunslinger maybe. is a game where it, it's got some cards in it, but it's basically... There's lots of different scenarios. You could be like a group of bank robbers that all turned on each other to try to get the loot, or you can have... Uh, a town with like cowboys versus Indians or whatever, but it's just, it's this really fun game that has been out of print for a million years and people still play it, but you know, you can't find a copy of it. And I, I've wondered that myself about gunslinger, why no one reprints that. There's a, uh, some pictures here uh, with xenomorphs. 
So there's a like a, a sci-fi port of it too, apparently. Called Bug Hunt Sniper, and it was in '88 that uh, that was released. Aha. It says as, as in all games of the Sniper series, and that Sniper with an exclamation point. Uh, this war game focuses on combat as experienced by the individual soldier. This game example examines the problems and situations particular to close combat in strange environments and against unknown foes. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I may start a uh, conversational thread on uh, the Wargamers group later about why, you know, is there anything out there like that now where you just play? I mean, there's a t- million ASL clones, but is anything done something like this where it's just a single guy and, you know, you're playing it? So would... Is Sniper then a, um, a, uh, what do you call it, a uh, solitaire game? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Maybe so. two-player. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, clicking on it, uh, Steve Winter, uh, and I have no idea if this is accurate. This is just what Board Game Geek says. Sniper was uh, written, created by uh, Steve Winter, who also did Dungeon, which is a game that I've, actually seen on the shelf it's a recently published game oh he did the dungeon game in 1975 ah i have seen the 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 remake of this one um which is published by uh wizards of the coast so all right was that the tsr board game uh it says it's re-implemented by no, i don't think uh, maybe, because it does say Publisher TSR. It, I hate it has the wrong box art for it when you click on it at BoardGameGeek. It has the current one. So, yeah. Uh, if I click on it... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that advertisement before. Yeah, the TSR Dungeon one with an uh, exclamation point, because that's important. It's like from the 70s. <laughs> it looks like they're on the Brady Bunch set, and the whole family is sitting around uh, playing it. And, uh, yeah, I'll try to make sure to have that linked in the show notes so you can bask in its uh, 70-ness. So. Hmm. Is that the one you were thinking of, Roy? No, it might have been the actually the awful green things from outer space. I just remember seeing this ad in the uh, uh, Dungeon Magazine and kind of envying this game and kind of wanting it, and I never did. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the next thing we had was deathinspace.com and this is a upcoming um, <coughs> zine is that what the cool kids call it they call it a zine um, is coming up for uh, Mothership and uh, I've been haven't played Mothership yet but I've been enjoying collecting the little things uh, the little zines for it because they are fascinating the ideas and um tech and situations that they come up with and uh yeah so this i'm very interested in it's supposed to be coming sometime in 2021 it'll be and it looks kind of like the what were the bad guys in firefly the reavers oh yeah yeah, reavers that's what that guy kind of looks like on there but yeah so Uh, i was thinking about the uh the guys that were going to strip the ship with uh with what's her name? Yolanda. Yolanda. I can't think what. Christina Hendricks. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, Yolanda. <laughs> was Christina Hendricks? What? Who is Yolanda? What that character? was her. She was the one that got married to Mal. 
That was her uh, character name? That was her actual... Well, I don't know. That was her actual name. Yeah, I can't name. remember, because, yeah. That, that was a pretty... Her non-scammy name. That was her... Yeah, her, her scammy name was, like, a flower or something like that. I can't Saffron. remember. Saffron. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was... It was like, you got that? All I got was this dumbass <laughs> stick that sounds like it's raining. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's Firefly. Watch right. that, kids. So yeah, a- that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series when <laughs> when Jane wants to trade his gun for her. Oh, yep. <laughs> and I think Mal says something like, um, "My my time of not taking you seriously has definitely come to a middle." <laughs> you know, I, I've stolen that phrase and incorporated it into my own uh, uh, dialogue. Oh, I love that scene. Um, Vera. The, Vera was the name of the gun. Yes. <laughs> and it has to dress her up real nice. See, Vera, you dress up real nice, you get taken out. Yeah, anyway. I want to go to, next time, let's go to the, the crappy planet where I'm a hero. Um, so. <laughs> now, ah. this is what it feels like to go insane. <laughs> So oh, the, that shit was so good. The, yeah, we should do a Firefly off the table. And, you know, there's talks of a that. reboot. Yeah. I don't know how serious they are, but there's talks. Yeah. Yeah. With Disney and making it family friendly, yeah. which, I don't know, kind of loses the spice. We'll see. I think I need to watch it again now. So, yep, <laughs> for sure. The next thing we've got is uh, Player's Aid. What's upcoming? War Game Watch for February 2021. Let's see, I could do this, but not... A couple of these we talked about on our last right. show, so now they're just stealing content from uh, us. They're, they're, they're totally stealing from <laughs> us. So I was going to say, I could do this, but why would I when they do it so well? I'll just read I'll <laughs> just read their article. Um, so, yeah, I mean, looking at this, we already talked about Tarwa. We, we already debated Rommel in the Desert Enhanced uh, yeah, Edition. We talked about Pratson. Yeah, and Pratson. Um, there was a couple of things I thought was kind of neat. Um like the In the Shadows, uh, which is coming from GNT. I originally, I was like, oh, is that a new coin game? And it, no, 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 it's, it's not. But it, to me, it seems like uh, French Resistance would be a possible coin game. Yeah, seems like it could be. I mean, it is card-driven, so even if it's not coin in name, it could be coin in nature. It looks interesting to me. I did not P500 this one, but if someone brought it to the table, I'd definitely give it a go. And uh, I know people, a lot of people have been talking about this C, uh, CDG solo system that was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, Stuka Joe has had he's had that system for a while. So I have no idea if this is just a nicely printed version of what he's already done or if he's tweaked the rules or what. But um, it'd be interesting to see how wide a range it has, because um no, no, it's just it's it's definitely an interesting idea because there's a lot of uh, if you like card driven games, there's a lot of good card driven games out there that and you still can solo them. But a big part of those games is not knowing what's in the other guy's hand. So it if there's hidden information that becomes unhidden, you know, it potentially takes away from the solitaire value of the game. Okay. Uh, Dominant Species is coming out for a sixth printing. I think I have the first or second printing of uh, of that. And um, there was an app at one point. I don't know. Yeah, if, there was. I, I used to have it on my iPad, and I think my 
they didn't update the the version of it and the iPad went too far and it stopped working or something like that but so what's the uh is this a solitarable game which and one is it how dominant species and I guess how um, I don't for somebody I don't who's not think a war so. game, I've I've only played it on the iPad, which has sort of like an AI built into it, but on cardboard, I don't think – I don't know, though. I mean, it doesn't have any hidden information, so I guess it could be Solitaire. Okay. It's an interesting game. It's it's. I wasn't crazy about it, but it was interesting. What if you use the you know, CDG I, solo system? Well, yeah. well, I don't think it's a card-driven game, though. Oh, uh, okay. I just – I hadn't seen – I mean, I've seen it – played before i've never played it though but i don't know if yeah. it's something that i would be interested in and my wife would be interested in it i you know i would yeah. say even though it's published by gmt it's not really a war game you know i mean no i wouldn't call that a war game it's, it's an area control game yeah mm-hmm. and it's got some interesting you know you you evolve and you get to pick your 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 evolution and but you're going to pick it based on like what, who your opponents are, what your neighbors are doing, what the terrain around you is like. And I mean, it's an area control game. I, I would say it's closer to uh terraforming Mars or Gaia project than it is to a, an actual. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Not that you're changing the terrain, but you're, you're changing yourself to adapt to the terrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Now uh, they're doing a third printing of Talon. Talon's been on my radar for a long time. I really want to play that. And I, bought it and then returned it when I found out my friend Chris owns a copy. So there's no point in me buying a copy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I hope to get to play that at some point. And I mean, the only other thing on here that I thought was kind of interesting to talk about was the OCS, the third winter, which was the battle of, uh, Ukraine. I wanted to ask you about that one, Rich. It's huge. That's what I really know about it. Um, I'm a big fan of OCS. I'm getting more and more into it, but I don't think I'm going to pick this one up, uh, just cause, I don't know. Third Winter is not particularly interesting to me as far as a, a time period. I've got other OCS games that are more interesting to me. And I actually just, from a friend, it's, it's on the way now, but I, I just picked up Smolensk, which is the smallest OCS game. So um, not that I have anything against a big game, but this is not one that I'm going to get, I don't think. Yeah, I think I have, uh, I've printed out the rule book for OCS, um, yeah, and you can get that for free from MMP. You can get the uh, the latest rules. I think 4.3 is the latest version. And, uh, I mean, it's it doesn't seem to be too bad. I mean, it's nothing like ASL or anything like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, again, it's different. I, I would say it's, I don't know, it's... I really like MMP's rule books. They, they do a good job of writing their rule books um, where they're easy to understand and everything, but... I mean, there's a lot in OCS, especially, you know, some games have naval rules in them. Every game has some series-specific rules that have to do with, you know, certain units and things. Um, so so really, any OCS is really going to have two rule books because you've got the series rules and then the, uh, the the rules for that particular game. Well, if you want to play it, I'd be, I would be interested in spending some time, you know, trying to learn it via Vassal or something. I'm almost positive I own... I think I own Splinsk or one of them. I think I picked up. Yeah, yeah, we can play that one. Or um, I just I just got this one. I hadn't had a chance to play it yet. But um, Reluctant Enemies is another one of the smaller ones. We could play that one as well. So okay. Uh, they talk about there's some releases in here I thought were interesting. Uh, the Space Infantry Federation. I 
I think that's kind of one thing that's been missing out of like Hex Encounter gaming is, you know, for the most part, you're doing historical reenaction. Nobody is you know, it's come up with, oh, okay, we're going to do this sci-fi and, you know, we're going to, this is our universe and, you know, this, you know, our IP. So Lock and Load has done one. And I wish I own some Lock and Load stuff, but of course never got it at the table. I wonder about their system, which is very, I call it an ASL clone. Maybe that would make them mad. Maybe not. But uh, it's one of those where it seems to be, you know, squad based and you move around. So that kind of looks neat to me. And uh, I did want to mention the second one on here was Empire at Sunrise. I got a copy of that. Uh, oh, nice. I missed the ho- the holiday sale and uh, got a copy of that. And so, you know, thought that was interesting. And uh, the one, uh, number four on here, looks cool, called Black Hell, Assault on Los Negros Island, February 29 to March 9, 1944, from High Flying Dice Games. That is a really striking uh, uh, title. It's a really nice box art. Uh, it just looks really, really cool. The uh, mapper looks really interesting too. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, it looks. It, it's not. It's it's black and white. It looks like a World War II flyover reconnaissance picture rather than, you know, what you would expect to see in a modern war game map. It just looks interesting. And. Man, this thing is only seventeen ninety five. Although, like when you look at it, uh, it does say mounted counters available for six dollars. All right, so what are you telling me? It's just I just have paper counters. Is that is that what it is? Maybe. Hmm. So I don't know. It seems cheap though, and uh, the artwork looks looks good. I mean, it may be worth trying out. I am not familiar with high flying dice games. You know, I've heard of them, but I can't think. I'm pretty sure I don't have anything by them. I was, I don't know. I, I thought of them as a mini, as doing like miniature rules, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Hmm. I wonder if, yeah. I, no, I can't think of anything off that that they would do. But uh, oh, I see Flying Buffalo does um, RPG stuff. So, I don't know. Anyway, uh, moving on to... Um, I tossed this on here because I was just curious if you guys are familiar with the Everway Mythic role-playing game. It's an older game from the nope. 90s. <clears throat> there, it's, It has something to do with tarot and, you know, some other bullshit. And it's... It, I mean, yeah, it does. It's, it, it's, That's their gimmick. I mean, I don't want to disparage it, but it's just like, eh, whatever. It just doesn't tickle my fancy. Anyway, the whole reason why I wanted to toss this on here, this is pure nostalgia it's on here it's been 25 years since they last released it and dad gum man you can to actually buy into this game it's 60 dollars for like the hardback player book but you need more than that you need the game master book as well in order to play so it's a 120 dollar buy-in for this and that's two books just two books Granted, you get PDF copies, you get your name in the player's book, whatever, but um, yeah, that just seems a little excessive to me for 120 bucks, and that's like all you get. You still have to have like a card deck in order to play the game, preferably like a tarot card deck, and if you want their tarot card deck, that's an additional $30. So now you're up 
to 150 bucks for total buy-in on this thing. So, yeah. That's just kind of... So yeah. one person has chosen the $1,000 level. Oh, hell, I didn't see that. Uh, let's yeah. see. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, two copies of the Player's Handbook, two copies of the Game Master's Book, two slipcases, two Fortune decks, and then a bunch of PDFs and some cards, and um, a free copy of anything else that comes out in the next two years. And insider access to design teams working chats for two years. I don't know what that means. Do they let you just like hang out in their Discord? But you're muted. You can't say anything. You just have to absorb it. I don't know. <laughs> ah, but yeah, I just I was a little shocked, a little appalled. But I mean, obviously, I don't care. I'm sorry, I don't count because they wanted thirty grand, and as of this podcast, they're up to fifty-seven. And uh, they have 25 days to go. So there you go. You know, people obviously want this, and so you don't have to buy it. Uh, the next thing we had, this may be the first coin game I purchased. They're doing The Troubles, Shadow War in Northern Ireland, 1964 to 1998. I thought that was a really, really cool subject uh, to do. So I've been, you know fascinated by it you know and very it pop it's been popping up in like popular culture since it as long as i've been alive the troubles you know the british yeah. occupation of northern ireland and it's just neat that this will be in here and i'm i'm really interested in like what cards and stuff they do because i mean so much interesting like literature, poems, uh, music, and you know, all this stuff came out of this. So I'm just curious to see if those pop up in the game, you know, in any way. Like, you know, your event deck would, would be like, you know, assassinate Michael Collins or, you know, whatever. Oh, I'm sure all that's going to be in there. So that's, This was also one to six players, which is new for coin. That many? Or the fact that it's yeah, solo? Yeah, every, the, I think the max amount of coin... Up until this point, has been four. Almost everyone is one to four players. There's one three-player game and one two-player game. Every one, every other one has been one to four players. Hmm. So I could totally play this, and like, I mean, there's all kinds of cool music I could put on in the background when I'm doing this, and yeah. Oh, Dropkick Murphys. Uh, oh uh, yeah, the Pogues. Dropkicks are from Boston. <laughs> Pogues are from from here. Oh, um, yeah. all right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, March twenty first, uh, March twenty twenty one. It'll hit Kickstarter under Compass Games. Eh, why does Compass Games need to kickstart stuff? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. the troubles are not necessarily hot. You know, as far as people dying. So uh, I mean, there's probably kind of a political aspect to this too, and well, uh, that would be like I think that's kind of like the the big thing with coin is just kind of like influencing doing stuff that cause you to lose political clout or gain political clout you know mm -hmm. uh, you're right though i mean there wasn't like a massive body count like you know it was a war it was just shocking things like there'd be a bombing that may kill you know one person or it may kill like 30 you so know. so adam you keep saying this is coin is this an actual coin game, or is this just in the coin genre? Because oh. coin is is GMT 
Volkarunka. That is that is a very good point. It, this will be in the coin genre. Okay, is, is what right. it is. So yeah, it won't be. Yeah, okay. I honestly didn't know that that there was a. It has to be an official coin. It has yeah, to I mean, be. And, yeah. I, okay. I have no idea what the legality of it is, but I mean, there is a GMT coin series that's got, I don't know, 10 games or so in it, maybe up to 12. Now I can't remember how many. Right. Uh, but okay. yeah, I, I, I think I commented on it and uh, on Twitter or whatever. <clears throat> Volca li- liked it. So that's all I know. So it's, it's gotta be Volca approved, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, let's see, does it actually say, but no, but I mean, it seems about that let's see the and the the website is the troubles.uk so i don't know but so you know that Volko is going to get a uh, buy a copy of this right and and play it and dissect it i'm sure i mean i feel like they wouldn't even make it without like consulting him like it just in the sense of like okay this is what we've done what what should we do here i don't know that's a good uh-huh. question we should have him on again we haven't had him on again before. yeah well, you know, I was thinking about J- Jamie Stegmeier talks about playing a lot of other people's games, and I'm I'm sure as a game designer, you play other people's games, and you think, well, that's a cool mechanic. Maybe I can kind of uh, massage that into something for me. Well, and, you, you know, know I'll also borrow say, from it. I'll also say you cannot copyright mechanics, so you could straight up be like, "This is a cool mechanic. I'm going to take it." You know, mm-hmm. I guess you would just have to deal with the people noticing that like oh he totally stole this from whatever and then yep. maybe you get people like oh well he did it better so here you go yeah well you yeah. can turn around and say i absolutely did steal it from there because i think it's a good mechanic yeah <laughs> totally and so, if you like the, if you like the original you'll like mine too yeah so uh in mentioning um the troubles i was going to mention one of my favorite freaking series uh series on netflix it you guys haven't watched Dairy Girls. It's fucking fantastic. I love it. I've, I've seen some not. of it. I love I it, seen any of it so very, very much. It takes place in Dairy, Ireland uh, during the 90s, and it's it's a handful of girls from there and just getting into wacky hijinks. Well, poor Catholic girls. Yes. I they, mean, yes. In this, in this uh, you know, setting, it makes sense to point out that they were Catholic. Yes, it does, uh, because and they that becomes a plot point like multiple times, especially like uh, I think there's uh, there's one episode where they want to get together with some Protestants of their same around their same age and stuff just to kind of it was a thing the school did to show to kind of put a human face on Protestants as strange mm-hmm. as that is to sound because <laughs> apparently well apparently this you were Catholic you only associated with Catholic people, you know, and so, and you kind of look down on Protestants and vice versa. So yeah, we do that around here too. Yeah. So, you know, it was, and yeah, it's really, really funny. Um, and I find it amazing that the girls quote unquote are actually played by women like in their thirties. So, but it's so well, and the, the nun in there is like one of the greatest television characters anyway. So I'll link the best of in the show notes and you can see. So the last thing we had on What's Your Radar is something I saw just before we started recording called Fire in the Sky, the Great yeah. Pacific War, 1941 to 45. 
and it's coming from Phalanx Games. This is the first time this game has been put out in English, if I remember. No, uh, no? that's not true, because I own this game. I, I own it published by MMP, but I think this is a reprint or something. Okay. I just, I know, like, uh, when I clicked on it, it, it mentioned, yeah, MMP did it original, or, well, at some point they did it because it shows three different publishers, Game Journal, Multiman Publishing, and Phalanx. And yeah. I swear in the thing for Phalanx, it talks about this is the that was the first time in English or, or whatever. Because it comes from a uh, Japanese designer? Correct, yeah. It, okay. So what can you tell me? You own it. What can you tell me about it? I can tell you it's a Pacific World War II game that I have not played yet. Mm, okay. <laughs> How big is it? Is it how big? How does it compare it's, to that monster we looked at a while ago? Oh no, it's not that big. It's, it's a one mapper. <laughs> uh, looks like it. Yep. Do, it does have a um, a vassal version of it as well. Yeah, it's just, it's just a single map. Um, it's not that big, so. Well, yeah. Apparently, Phalanx is going to reprint it, which is weird, and it's actually available for pre-order. Very strange, just in the sense of MMP had it, and now somebody else is going to do it. I don't know. Just an odd thing, but I guess... Yeah, it's... I heard that it was getting a reprint, but I didn't really know any details about it, so... Mm. I like... Uh, they The actual company publishing it lists as pros and cons, which I find fascinating. So, Because <laughs> how can you objectively say bad things about your game? It's like, I mean, what would you say? Like, ah, the rulebook's terrible, you know, or whatever. Like, well, you published it. <laughs> So the cons they list is playtime somewhat too long for a single weeknight, although still short for a large-scale war game. The Phalanx 2nd Edition will contain scenarios with a later starting date or by year with a shorter playtime. They have that as a bullet point listed under con. I, yeah, don't know why, yeah, they should fire their layout person, but that's just me. So yeah, it does seem to be just a small kind of map, just showing. So really, there's just one con with a footnote. Yes, that's what it is exactly. Okay. But it didn't come out <laughs> that way. They have it because it's listed as a bullet point. That's as a negative. It contains scenarios with later starting. Game. I don't know. So uh, yeah, and it looks smaller than what it is because that box makes it look enormous. So, well, the box that I have is not very big at all. I mean, it's like a. It's like an inch and a half box, so it's it's not it's not that big, and there's not that many calendars in it either. It's yeah. a game I've been meaning to get on my table, especially after I played Empire of the Sun last year. I wanted to play this to compare the two, but just never got it out. So I'll let you know what it, eventually. I'll I'll get this on the table. I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. Uh, on to actual news. Uh, the first thing we had, I know all three of us got this, and it was fascinating to read. Noble Knight Games. Which honestly, I think they're like the world's biggest like gamer flea market. Only they sell their stuff for probably a little bit more than what it's actually worth for, in my opinion. They publish their buy list, and uh, these are things they want to purchase. And it's fascinating to look at the GMT stuff here, and uh, just kind of see what is uh, the most expensive and where it comes from. Some of the some of the stuff like I uh, was surprised to to see on here, and some of it I had never heard of. 
Like, I didn't know like, what the Battle of Normandy was and why it's $125. Are you familiar with that yeah. one, Rich? I don't really know that much about that game, so no, I don't know. So at any cost, yeah. Mets, you have that, right? I do, yeah. Me too. That's a good so game. look at those prices there. Yeah. Is, are those, what's the $45 for store credit? Does that yeah. seem like a reasonable price to you? Um, I guess so. I, here's I swear the problem that's I what I paid this. for it. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess the problem I have with this is if I want to sell a game and I do have games for sale, I usually just throw them up, up on, on the geek market. Because um, it seems like here, I mean, if I'm getting store credit, that yeah, they'll give me a little bit more, but um, am I going to have to pay to ship it to them? Because if I do, you know, that's going to be 15 bucks right off the top there that I've got to mm-hmm. pay for. So now we're really looking at, I only got 30 bucks for the game, and I could probably sell that same game for 40 on geek market. And I don't know. It's just, it, I looked over the prices on here and there was nothing on here where I thought, oh yeah, that, that would definitely be worth giving something up for, especially considering mostly what they're looking for is new or unplayed, which I don't have that many games that are unplayed. I do have some that I have played a little bit and decided I didn't want to keep anymore and I'll sell those. But, um, I don't know. Geek market is, is basically all I use for selling games anyway. Do you think they uh, employ some interns and that like that's their job is like when Richard trades in a thing, they have to go in and count the counters to make, yeah, sure, make sure they're all there. There's 9,000 counters. A, I did buy a, a Vietnam game last year, Vietnam 65 to 75. I got it off Geek Market, and when it came to me, all of the counters were in one Ziploc bag. <laughs> so that was nice. Oh. Okay. On here, they have Gringo with an exclamation point. What is that from GMT? I've never uh, heard Gringo of that. Gringo is, I think that's in the Great Battles of the American Civil War series. I think it's it's the uh, Mexican-American War, like the, the not a full war, but the, like the, the battles we fought in Mexico right before the Civil War. I think that's what Gringo is. Okay, they have River of Death. That's a $105 game. I don't know anything about that one. Sounds scary, though. And uh, Three Days of Gettysburg, second edition, is 115 bucks. Or if you have the first edition, they'll give you a measly $30 for that. Yeah. And, so, oh, oh, go ahead. So I actually just sold my Three Days of Gettysburg um, for, I think I sold it for 75 Okay. All on right. BGG. Huh. You're, you're in Triumph and Tragedy money, but okay. It's not bad. <laughs> you were saying wrong? Well, I was just... I was just going to say, I looked on eBay, and at any cost, Mets sold recently for $80. And they want to give you a $45 store credit. Well, you know. It's a good game. I mean, I I don't want to sell mine because I enjoy playing it, but Mm -hmm. it also, it's not not huge. It doesn't have a million counters in it or anything. So, I mean, when it was new, it's it's probably like a $50 game. Let's see. Fire Fire in the Lake. Insurgency uh-huh. in Vietnam. We've talked about that before. That's coin. 40... That's coin. That is, is coin. Yep. That's yep. official uh, for, coin. $45 for that. In How much? Credit. $45. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, but that sounds kind of like when you got Falling Sky last year. I mean, uh, for a coin game to me used seems like it should be probably about 45 bucks. Hmm. Okay. Now, I will say this is they're buying these in order to resell them. So if they give you 45 right. for it, they're probably going to turn around and ask 80 
90. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think the one that really kind of jumps out at me actually on this one is unconditional surrender. So even for a used copy, they're offering 80 in store credit. Um, that seems like a really good price. Well, but again, that, I, I like unconditional surrender. I don't want to sell that one. So no, no, no. Uh, unconditional surrender. Second edition is 110 bucks. No, I'm saying for a used copy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's unopened, yeah. it's 110. I was going to say, that's yeah. that's the one. you can. We can actually play that on Board Game Arena, right? Yes, that one is new to, well, relatively new to Board Game Arena. Yep. Okay. That's cool. Who well, needs cardboard anymore? Yeah, I know. It just Well, I like the fact that, you know, we would, you know, at least the moves and stuff would be there. Yeah, I like that part that, you know, it's it saves the game state and all that stuff, so. So uh, the next thing we had is Degenesis Rebirth Edition. Now, Degenesis, I've always found fascinating. Fascinating bot. I've always found it fascinating because the company is called that makes it is, is called Six More Vodka. Don't know <laughs> why. I'm sure there's a story there. And so they have a free-to-play version of this. This is their Primal Punk RPG. And... Um, I mean, it has some really, really cool artwork. I'll give it that. And um, they're a company that you could never purchase their stuff outside of anywhere new. Unless, you know, you bought a used copy of it. So they kind of control the price of it. And, uh, yeah, so I've just been interested in it. I think it's like a Czechoslovakian company. No, sorry, German. They're a German company, which is weird that they drink vodka. What should they be, Roy? Six more um, beers or something. Do Germans? Yeah, I think Czechoslovakia. Yeah, probably beer. Does Germ- <laughs> do Germans do any hard liquor? Or do they make any as a national thing? Is what I'm trying to schnapps. Think. Schnapps. Okay, so do we, it should be schn- six more schnapps is what it should be. <laughs> but that's just us being critical. Anyway, so there is a free version of this new ver- of this new one. And uh, it appears to be cyberpunk, post-apocalyptic, and very rainy. So you can take a look at it, and you'll, I'll have a link to the show notes. Uh, the next thing we had was tell me about Sword and Fire, Richard. Sword and Fire, already pre-ordered. That was like, I think I was like number 13 pre-ordering that one. I was all over that. Uh, yeah, historical ASL. So the difference between ASL and historical ASL is that historical ASL uses actual historical maps, whereas ASL just uses um, sort of generic terrain maps that you can put together to put into some pseudo-historical modules. But historical uh, uses actual historical maps, and it also um, usually has a, a historical campaign mode where you can play several scenarios in a row, and depending on how what you do in the first one depends on what happens in the second one. Um, but yeah, I saw sort of fire Manila, the battle for Manila. And I was just, I was all over that instantly. Now looking hmm. at it, they, and Oh, so this one isn't even on the list, but apparently MMP decided to clean out their warehouse and they found some old stuff too, which means I also ordered a copy of Festung Bud- Budapest, which is another historical ASL module. So I got it. And this is one of those things where, like, depending on what your context is, you're going to think I'm crazy. But it was only, like, $190. But this thing has been selling for years for more than $500. And I've wanted it, but just didn't want to pay that much for it. So I got I got a copy of that one, too. Wow. I mean, it sounds familiar, Festung Bu- uh, Budapest. Yep. 
And I can't. It's it's an ASL historical scenario that takes place in the Battle of Budapest. Okay. Uh, so I was gonna say they. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I just I'm. Rich, how do you float that past past the wife? Uh, I. I, I'm sorry if that's too personal. I just <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, we, I, I don't spend money that I can't afford to spend. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I have a decent job. I, um, most of the money that I spend on games, I spend by selling games. So often, and and this actually wasn't oh, okay. the case on this one. But what yeah. I do is every time I sell a game, they pay me in PayPal, and every time I buy a game used, I buy it through PayPal. So for the most part, it's. The PayPal, whatever I have in PayPal is how much I can spend on games. Okay. Now, this recent MMP stuff didn't come out of PayPal. But honestly, I mean, that's it's my hobby. It's it's something I yep. do. And, you know, I, I, Sorry, we're, I not, we're not going bankrupt, game. so yep. I don't have to worry about it. You know, okay. 190 bucks for a game. Just I don't know. That kind of floors me. Yeah. But, but you said, you know, it's, you know, it's it's. Uh, people's opinions change based on what they're into. I'm gonna, oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to laugh in miniature gaming. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. So, and I'll, I'll also say, Roy, he, he's still riding that uh, heart attack guilt. He's like, Oh, yeah, I bet that's it. She was like, $190, and he put his hand to his chest. And she goes, no, Oh, wait, no, wait, she, sorry, she's sorry. She's probably thinking, Hey, if that lifeguard wasn't there, I could sell how many of his games for 190 bucks each? <laughs> okay, well. I'm coming, Elizabeth. Well, look, look it, in every every hobby that there's been the joke of uh, it's it's something to the effect of um, I'm scared when I die, my wife will sell my guns, <laughs> sell the games for whatever, what I told her, for what I, I told them. her I paid for them. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that's been the joke. You know, and that I've seen that from scuba diving to uh, motorcycles to gun, you know, gun, all everything. Everybody says that. So. So, uh, yeah, the map looks cool. I wonder, it's a four-pound game. And uh, as of this podcast, they need 950 people to pre-order this. Now, how does that work, Rich? Do you, does it work like the P500? You just say you're going to do it, and you give them a credit card, and then they charge it when it ships? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so they need 950, and they're up to 775. So surely, after this podcast, yeah. it'll, it, and it'll MMP... double that recently changed their pre-order thing where like when they they throw a game up there for pre-order for like the first month you get a certain discount and then after that you get another discount so you know there's always people that like at the end it's like okay we made our number and then they'll pre-order it and mmp is like no no once we make our number you don't get the big discount anymore so (laughs) so yeah it's uh 132 dollars MSRP and uh, the pre-order discount is 99. Now, yeah. Does that include shipping or? No, that would not okay. include shipping. Yeah. So probably be uh, 15, 20 bucks for that because it's four pounds and I don't know. Yep. All right. So um, the next thing we had as it slowly loads up, I found this fascinating, and this kind of goes into my uh, my anti Kickstarter argument. Uh, this guy who's uh, hat, that works for Evil Hat, they just kind of straight up posted uh, their business, their their money, and what they did. It said in 2020 um, they did. Uh, it shows their gross and you know, just gross, all the stuff for it. And I just found this like um, 
fascinating just in like what they and I'll have this linked in the show notes so you can take a look at it like what they did you know what they sold on Amazon which uh, RPGs sold better for them and uh, yeah so I think they ended uh, if, if I'm reading it correctly they ended 2020 in the black um, to the tune of $326,000 so that's like after producing everything and you know all this different stuff, and and apparently their biggest seller was Forged. I know they do the Fate RPG, and I have a friend of mine that's a really big uh, fan of that one. And uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, it gets really really detailed, but I just kind of find this fa- fascinating. Um, because they also do like the uh, the Dresden Files uh, games and, and whatnot, so I don't know. It's it, to me, it's like this is a company that shows. Now, granted, they actually do uh, do Kickstarters as well, but to me, also looking at it, it's like, yeah, do you really need to be doing? But anyway, I just found it fascinating. I always like it when companies kind of pull back the curtain and go like, okay, guys, this is what we, or at least we say. You know, where yeah. this is what we're really making, you know, versus how much you, you may think we do, and this is what our expenses were. Just neat to me. I've That's always been... the grave to lay that on the table like that. It is. I mean, I guess, honestly, if it was bad, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, they're like, eh, I don't want to... So this, uh, what, $326,000 profit for the year, right? Yeah. That's after salaries and everything. I guess. Okay. I guess, you know, and so... The way I would look at that is that's $326,000 that you should turn around, and that's what you use to launch that next game, that next idea, you know, whatever, instead of getting people to pre-order through this glorified Kickstarter pre-order system, mm-hmm. you know, so, but that's just the way I think of it. Because I will always, always go back to when big companies or what I consider big, at least notable name companies do Kickstarters, it prevents that's money that month that could have gone to Roy's Kickstarter, whatever it was. If he was trying to get his naval game, if he was trying to get a RPG zine, it's like, wow, Roy, I was going to back that, but I couldn't because I wanted this, you know, RPG that's coming out that will absolutely go to retail and cost less at miniature market. So, but that's just me. So moving on to, <clears throat> I thought this was really neat. I'm a huge fan of uh, anthropomorphic miniatures. And this is Eureka Miniatures is showcasing a line called Avalon Bleeding. And as I understand it, this is basically anthropomorphic English Civil War. So you have my attention like completely with this. And uh, because I love Pike and Shot, I love ECW, and um, that's what it is. So you've got, like, owl pikemen. You've got halfling musketeers. I don't know what the little blue guy on the left there is supposed to be, but just kind of neat. I really don't know what I would do with this. Um, So I probably wouldn't buy it unless there was, like, a really cool skirmish game or something that went with it, but that's just me but i just thought it was neat i i like quirky kind of stuff like this and it's really neat that you know people can come up with it and put it out there and uh yeah so i don't know just thought it was neat 
the mm-hmm. next the next thing we had, I was gonna ask you guys: Are you familiar with the Temple of Elemental Evil? As a module or the board game or what? Well, just the history of it. You know, it originally started with the module. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, vaguely. Well, I, I, I now when they re when the recent fifth edition version of this was called something else though, right? That sounds right. I'll look at, I'll look that up real quick. Um, this is uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics via Goodman Games is putting out. You know, they're they're doing those reimagined, um, right? Uh, adventures, whatever they call it. The original, I'm sorry, original adventures reincarnated is what they're calling it. And so they're going to do the Temple of Elemental Evil. And uh, it's supposed to be coming in August of this year. And what I was completely amazed by, this thing, all right, it's going to be two books, two hardback books in a custom slipcase priced at $99.99. Remember that Kickstarter just a while ago that was doing two and they were 60 a piece and your slipcase was $30 more? Okay, I'm just saying. Um, so this is two hardback volumes, $99.99. It's going to be seven to 800 pages. This is just massive, massive, massive. And that's, I, I like the idea of that. And I really hope that, you know, I'm able to actually play this. And, you know, this really sounds so interesting to me in so many ways. I want to also. I remember that. So the Village of Homlet, which is the first one in the Temple of Elemental Evil series, was the first D&D module that I ever bought. Really? (laughs) Yep. What year was it? Who was president then? (laughs) Probably Reagan. Okay. I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I was trying to see if it got re-released. Well, they did... Well, in 2001, they did a third edition module called Return. They did The Village, and now I don't see it on... Yeah, um, I think I, I think maybe I was just hearing that it was coming back and not that they already did it, but... Yeah, it's going to be hard for me to avoid picking this one up. If Even if I never play it, I just want to read it again and, you know... Look, remember, I... Remember those days. 800 pages of you know material you know of maps of lore of monsters all that stuff is really cool to me um do you guys own any of the uh, original adventures reincarnated no i've I looked at them i've flipped through them at the store but i haven't bought any of them just because i'm not running anything right now i actually have my original into the borderlands book from 1970 so the original one not the new one the reincarnated. Yeah. cool yeah that's cool i um i hemmed and hawed on getting into the borderlands i don't i think i did finally pick up a copy cheap off ebay uh of the reincarnated version but when um my friend and i got way into metamorphosis alpha and getting into like mutant crawl classics i absolutely had to seek out expedition to the barrier peaks and uh, i think that's a really really cool book um you know and i mean they're just 50 so I'm just assuming, and of course that's MSRP. I'm assuming that it's uh, the other. This one will be a hundred because it's the it'll be two of them. I thought the Lost City, the artwork is kind of attractive to me, but I don't know if it's any good because I don't know anything about that module. 
Are you guys familiar with uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks? That's the sci-fi one, right? Yeah, it's, it's sci-fi fantasy. Basically, it's your group of people. You go, you know, you're trying to investigate this weird caves or, or whatever. And ba- what it was supposed to be was the crashed uh, ship, the Warden, from Metamorphosis Alpha. So you end up, your fantasy guys end up going on board this a crashed spaceship, basically is what it is, full of, like, mutants and shit, so... Hmm. I thought that was really neat, and yeah, so, anyway. And uh, I guess the last thing I've got on here is Ares Games will release the I, English... I have a thing that I wanted yeah. to add. Go ahead. Uh, so, I've at one point, I might have mentioned this before, but uh, Borderlands, the video game, yeah, is yeah. Uh, coming out with an RPG. Cool. Sorry, my mouth was full. Really? <laughs> um, who, do you know who's publishing it or anything? Oh, shoot, i got to find the DM. I don't know. I, uh, and Google that real quick. Oh, I, Nerdvana I will... Games. Really? Okay. Borderlands RPG. I'm currently playing uh, Borderlands 3, and it is absolutely, in my humble opinion, the best of the series so far. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. absolutely loving it. Everything good about the series is there and just shines. The humor... You know the the crazy guns, you know, and yeah, all this stuff. So, we Tiny talk- Tina Games. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like I'm I'm like yeah, Butt Stallions Honey Heist. Yeah, this 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 will be pretty good <laughs> to do. It's called Bunkers and Badasses. Will be what it, it is based on the game within a game. From Gearbox Entertainment's Borderlands series, Bunkers and Badasses is the is tabletop oh, role. Yeah, edited. I by kind of remember that. Edited by Tiny Tina and made a bajillion times better. So, <laughs> let's see. You so, get over two hundred jokes, twenty of which are funny. So there you go. <laughs> That's kind of neat. It is. It, I like how you're getting. They have uh, standees and stuff. Well, they got miniatures, too. Of course, everybody has miniatures nowadays. I don't know. What would be something different nowadays, I guess, if you wanted your your board game or whatever to stand out, what would be good? Since everybody is doing miniatures, what would you do that would be different? AR, augmented reality. Mm, yeah. I've seen that. And been very excited by it several times in different board games, and it just yeah, it it sucks that they eventually die. Um, there was that one that was all about golems. A friend of mine, yeah, um, actually, I demoed that. He like did the top one of the top tiers in their Kickstarter, and is actually in the game. He did one of those mm-hmm. where they actually used his picture and did it as a character, and uh, yeah. It was really cool because it had this little thing that you would click, you would put over it to see some kind of like little light pin or whatever to do damage and all that. It was neat, but yeah. So anyway, uh, last thing we had was Ares Games to release English version of Nuts Publishing Games. And I was going to ask Richard if he was familiar with Nuts Publishing since they did some war games. Although they, they do, do, they do miniatures, don't they? Uh, World War II miniatures and others? I, 
looking at the they're a French company and looking at the uh the webpage, it appears to be like family war and war games. Uh like Oh, I see. Oh, they do We've oh, talked I see. about yeah, so they republished some stuff in France at so oh okay they did Fitna and We've even talk- like one deck dungeon and stuff like that. Okay. Well, they also did their own stuff. We've talked about like this uh this war without an enemy, the English Civil War. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Apparently they were the original publisher of that and it got um done in English. But uh, some of this stuff looks kind of neat. Although, like, uh, Phantom Fury and the Psalm... Phantom Fury looks almost... That is a very lock-and-load-looking cover. Uh, Psalm 1918 looks good. And uh, Offensive Rose Stalingrad. It says English version. So, Ares Games is going to be the ones that are actually putting this out. Because the first game they're going to do is a card-driven war game, 300 Earth and Water. Which, that does sound a lot like the movie. And uh, followed by the solitaire and two-player co-op game Mini Rogue this summer. So yeah, when my uh, the new item I ordered comes in, hopefully it'll work, and we'll have like closing music and some some stuff like that. Maybe we're gonna up the um, the production value and see if anyone gives a shit. So maybe or maybe uh, yeah, I, I guess Patreon. Uh, we could do a Patreon tier where I censor out all the bad words. But man, it would have to be like worth my while. It would have to be like a hundred dollars a month to edit, what say, two point five episodes. If you do that, Roy and I are going to start just cussing up a blue streak. <laughs> oh, that means yeah, just where it's constantly beep beep. Yeah, just making extra work for me. I got you. Yeah, I got you. All right, so uh, yeah, so it's been just fun. trying to make me say reprehensible things, aren't you? <laughs> make make me pronounce reprehensible, maybe. So uh, you can follow uh, Roy at Roy Toy Cowboy on Twitter, and uh, I don't know if Richard wants his stuff out there, but yeah, you can find him. You can find me. I'm out there, Trippier Junior on Twitter. And so uh, yeah, there we are. So I guess we'll uh, say good night, folks. Good night, folks. Good night, folks. <laughs>